Well, what a morning it has been already, has it not? Praise the Lord. How he moves amongst his people, uh, people like us that recognize our need for him. As we continue to sing that cry and now look to turn our attention to his word, let's just continue that heart of worship today. So grab your copy of God's word. I invite you to turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 31 when you get there. If you are visiting with us, another warm welcome to you. It's good to have you with us this morning. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, you'll see one right in front of you. You just grab that and follow along with us. Second book of the Bible, Exodus 31st chapter. That's where we'll be. Here, of course, in our study... In Exodus, this portion, Moses' time on Mount Sinai is drawing to a close, a rapid close, in fact. Moses, as we recall, ascended the mountain at the end of chapter 24. After the covenant was confirmed, the glory of the Lord descending on the summit, Moses was called up. They're given the instructions for the composition and construction of the tabernacle. You recall that. They're also, Moses, given instructions for the priesthood. Remember, garments and consecration. And on the mount as well, we studied last week, Moses received a methodology of worship, if you will. A manner of approaching these things. And of course, Yahweh. All of that, all of it, from the Lord. Prescription given precisely by Yahweh. Yahweh giving his clear direction. We've commented on this over and over again. But we recognize, and of course this principle is true today, is it not? It is one thing for Almighty to give instruction, right? It is something else entirely for his people to receive it. I would submit to you, loved ones, right in our DNA, is a very grave difficulty receiving the instructions from God. He can be precise, and he is. He can be detailed, and as we've seen, he is. The issue is not the clarity from God. The issue is our obedience. Again, beloved, we need to set our hearts with this truth this morning as we all bring days and weeks and months and seasons to the corporate assembly today. The issue again is not with Yahweh and his instructions. The issue is how we receive them. How we respond to the instructions God gives. We will see this in a moment in our text. But I want us to just set our hearts with this truth. I think will help us get into this text and understand what God has for us this morning. How do we respond to God's instructions. Beloved, how do you respond to God's instructions? I think we're familiar with some of these. Have you uttered this, God, I don't have the ability to do that. You know my weaknesses, Father. You know my limits, Father. I can't do that. Some say, Father, I don't have the right experience, the right mix, the right background, the right resources. We can add more. On it goes. Yes, God's people truly have limitless protest to God's instruction. Is that not true? There's no end 
to the protests that we give to God in the wake of his instruction. Exhibit A, of course, is in this very book. Moses, the man of God, Deuteronomy calls him, called by God in Exodus 3. Yahweh was plain and direct. Do you remember chapter 3, verse 10? Come, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Is that clear instruction? Of course it is. Moses, in response, threw up every manner of excuse to Yahweh, everything from, who am I, God, who am I, to the people won't listen, God, they won't listen, to the people won't believe, right through to the infamous, God, I'm not eloquent, I am slow of speech. You recall that? And I trust you also recall God's rebuke to that in chapter 3, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who has made man's mouth? In other words, God says, who is the one that provides that mouth? Who actually gives ability? Who has made that instrument of talking? That's the focus, Moses. Not on what you think your mouth is, but on who gave it to you. Not the mouth itself. Not what the mouth is called to do even, but the mouth maker. The mouth maker. That's where our attention must be. That's Moses. If Moses responded that way to God's initial instruction, one could imagine the Israelites harboring similar doubts in the wake of God's instruction. You can imagine with all of the instructions we've looked at, the specific materials, the careful measurements, the precise construction. Principally, we don't have to imagine too hard when it comes to us, beloved. Is that not true? God's people today Brothers and sisters, we know protest. Church, I can say this confidently, you and I know doubt, don't we? We know it. We see God's instructions, yes, but we don't see how we'll carry them out. You have these seasons at times where you look at the clear instructions of God's Word, and every time you consider it, it's like climbing Mount Everest. We see instead our inability, our lack with our fleshly reason. And as such, and here it is, when we do that, when we yield to that, our obedience is impaired. Our obedience is impaired due to not clear instruction from God, but fleshly reason from us. We thus submit our I can'ts to God. You know, I can't comes in all manner of stripe, does it not? All colors, many flavors of I can't. I can't, I can't, I can't. And when we submit our I can'ts, we are in danger, a danger that we fail to see that God doesn't receive I can't. He doesn't receive that. God never receives or understands an I can't. As Moses, for one, showed us, God never receives our ability protests. We don't see in that text in Exodus 3, Yahweh saying, you know what, that's a great point, Moses. That's a really good point. I, the Almighty, missed that one. (laughs) Moses, for one, is the example. And especially in light of the reality, beloved. Let's set our hearts here. Who gives you the ability, not just the instruction? Yahweh. By the way, this principle is true not just in actively doing good, not just in making or serving or doing, but it is true in actively resisting sin. Now here's the epicenter, right? 
This is where I can't flourishes. It's all manner of red carpet for sin has just streams of I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't help it. I can't stop. I can't do that. I can't. I can't. I can't. Yet, consider this familiar New Testament text in the wake of I can't with God's instruction. To the church, 1 Corinthians 10.13, by the way, a very dysfunctional church in 1 Corinthians, a Corinthian body. Yahweh says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, he provides the instruction and he provides the way. It stands to reason, in the sacred text, there's no room for I can't. Christian, listen, whether Old Testament or New, yesterday or today or tomorrow, with God's commands, there is no such thing as I can't. Under God, listen, to be pointed... I can't equals I won't. I can't is really, to translate that, I won't do it, God. I won't do it. Beloved, we've remarked so much on this, and this present text in Exodus will remind us again that God never commands something that he does not provide for. Do you remember that principle? He never commands you to do something that he doesn't make provision for. And thus, it's simple logic. You have everything you need to say, I can. I can. God provides. God gives. God fills. God equips. God enables. That reality is the heartbeat of our text this morning. It cannot be clear, and I trust we'll all see this. We will see this truth has no home in generalities or hanging platitudes. We're really good at those, aren't we? I was thinking this week, we have really got Christian lingo down. How many times there's a 10,000 foot, God will provide. God is good. We've got that down. But we're not there this morning. We're not in the platitudes. We're not in the air. We're down here. This is the how and the why of fulfillment. In the wake of such grand instruction, as we've covered these past few chapters, God presents clearly the principle of responding to his instruction. And it is more precisely, here it is, the principle of obedience, of service, of Christian living. Andrea, I don't want to pick on you after such a wonderful morning, but and I certainly didn't prepare to say this, but you know, I'm just struck. Some of you know Andrea leading up to today. The initial was, I, I can't do this, right? Did she do this? I think she did. And and Andrew will tell you, and I'm sure, please go up and encourage her. That was all God today. It wasn't Andrea, right? Great with her words, great in front of people, great in water. Right? It was the Lord Almighty that commanded her to do that and gave her the ability to do it. And what a testimony. You did it. Actually, he did it through her. Listen, beloved, ability is from the Lord. Let's not miss that this morning. Ability is from the Lord. 
As we turn to chapter 31, we'll see for God's people five characteristics in this text of ability. Five. I trust they're helpful. Let's look at them. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Olihav, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Father, we consider this text, and we also consider our many I can'ts. And Lord, we want to repent of that as we come to this text. We want to turn from our own eyes and way and our resistance, and we want to embrace what you would have in this text for us, Lord. Give us eyes to see it, minds to understand it, hearts to receive it, and arms and feet to live it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's consider ability, beloved, as God defines it. The first characteristic of ability is this, our first point, ability is evident. Ability is evident. Back to verse 1, look at it with me. The Lord said to Moses, see, stop there, see, little word, see is a command there. It is a call for Moses to take a look at something. Here it is someone, and His name is Bezalel. Now we'll take a closer look at Bezalel in a moment. For now, I want you to just look again at that small little word, see. See. See is a command that tells us that something is obvious to the eye, right? See, something is evident in the Israelite camp. See is the call for Moses and Israel to look at what is obvious and clear around them. And what is that? It's the evident reality that a certain man named Bezalel has ability. You can see it, Israelite. As you consider these tabernacle blueprints, Israel, as you wonder how, Yahweh says, look around and see. There is one in the camp with evident ability. See. There is Bezalel. There's a man who you already see with ability to do this. And this is the first characteristic of ability that God teaches us in this text. Ability is evident. Why is that important? Because ability is not a guessing game. So often not a survey or a quiz. Ability is not hidden. Ability is evident. Ability is exercised. Ability from God cannot be held back. It's displayed. By the way, implied in this word is the idea that Bezalel is already using his ability. Do you see that? That's the implication. He's already using his ability. Maybe back in Egypt, now in the camp, Bezalel maybe had his little stall. He was the craftsman doing his thing. See, is God telling his people, Israel, you already know this man's ability. You can testify to it. 
This is not unlike David's evident ability. Do you remember his ability to play the lyre or the harp in 1 Samuel 16? A harp player is sought to soothe King Saul. Do you remember he's tormented? So a harp player is sought and a servant of the court in verse 18 says, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who was skillful in playing. That was evident ability. Ability evident in David, that skill observed, is what comes first in these cases before the service. Presumably that was true of Luke's ability as a physician, evident before he became Paul's traveling companion. What about Apollos and his ability as an orator, evident before he was called to speak the things concerning Jesus, Acts 18.25. This is how it has always been with God's people and church, no different today. Ability is not something instant. It doesn't just pop up one day after a decision. No ability is evident. Now let's hang on to that reality, that characteristic, as we move along. That's one. Two, ability is personal. Ability is personal. Look at the end of verse 2. Back to Bezalel. And what would, she, what would we, or what should we, observe here? It's his name. And not only his name, but the fact that he has a name. That's basic stuff, right? Yes, we all have a name. More than that, we all have a very personal name, don't we? None of us are Bezalel, but likely there were others in the ancient Near East that had that name, it's possible, but they didn't have the same father or the same grandfather or the same great-grandfather that Bezalel had. Only one Bezalel was, look at verse 2, the son of Uri. Only one Bezalel's grandfather was her, only one, just one. Only one Bezalel had that father, that grandfather, and look at it, that tribe, Judah. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Those are very personal details, are they not? And those details are only true of one man with evident ability. And God says, look, look at the beginning of verse 2, look at him. I have called by name Bezalel. Of course, we're reminded in a text like this, there's no hiding from God. It's not as though God is unaware. As Bezalel minds his craft, producing artistic designs for the Israelites, Bezalel, one of God's people, doesn't have a pet craft here in his private tent for his private use, right? No one is shocked by God calling out Bezalel to do this work. No, Yahweh says, I've called by name Bezalel. We'll see why shortly. This is a very personal call. And this is how God calls, by the way. We see with ability, same in sanctification and in salvation. With a name that he knows, your name and your details before the foundation of the world. Before you even knew that you could know. He calls by name. Bezalel is a specific person with specific personal details and specific ability. An ability like a name is personal, isn't it? And if that is true, and I think we would agree it is, then it stands to reason that with God, everyone that has a name, everyone that has a personal name, everyone called by name has ability. It's true, even 
for you doubting right now in that seat, maybe doubting very much that you have ability. Maybe you're doubting all and any ability. But let me submit to you two pieces of evidence to you that we all have ability. Number one, it's what we've looked at already, that ability is evident. Bezalel was a craftsman. Aaron or Apollos could speak. David could play the harp. I want you now to think of people you know. Yes, right now, I want you to think of the people you know, and you can think, can you not, of ability for them. You think of the people in your sphere, and you think, this person has this ability, this person has that ability. I know that. It's evident. I know their name, and I know their ability. And I'm here to tell you, brother, and I'm here to tell you, sister, you're no different. Maybe someone just thought of you. You have ability, and listen, doubting your ability doesn't make it not true. Just because you doubt your ability doesn't make it not so. Moses, remember, doubted his speech, didn't he? But it turns out, did he have the ability? Yeah. Andrea doubted at the beginning. Did she have ability to do that today? Yes, she did. One wonders how many noticed Moses' ability before he did, as many noticed Andrea's ability before she did. Now, evidence is one thing, is a proof of ability, but more we consider this too, is that we are all, every single one of us, made in the image of God. Beloved, you and me, us and them, image bearers of the one true God, all of us then, Genesis 1, 2, crafted by God, not plain or generic, but as individuals with names and lineages, Each one of us in this room has a very different lineage. I don't know of a genealogy in the Bible or any that says an Adam, son of Adam, was a son of Adam who was a son of Adam. That's just not the way it works with God. God is the ultimate craftsman. He crafted diverse ability in us as he did people. As the Old Testament reveals to us, God gives all manner of ability. Some with ability to tend animals. You remember Abel in Genesis 4.4, 4, or some with ability to lead. You remember Joshua in Deuteronomy 31.3. Look, we all have different names and genealogies. We all have different life accounts and abilities. All of us, each one of us. That's because ability is personal. To have a name is to have ability. Now let's climb the summit. Ability is evident. It's personal. Here, ability is God-given. This is the the heart here. This is the peak of our passage. It is the obvious sum of all these verses that open chapter 31 and also of all that the Bible reveals about God's created beings. It is the plain fact that ability is God-given. Westmount, to state the obvious, ability is not an accident. Ability is not random. Ability is not something sourced in yourself or given to you by someone else. Ability is God-given. Let's read that truth and then comment on it. Verse 3, And I have filled him, this is Bezalel, with the Spirit of God, with what? Ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft, And behold, I have appointed with him a holy ab. Incredible truths here. Ability, God-given. That 
able one, Bezalel, God says, look at verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Now before we get to the specific abilities that the Spirit of God enables, a couple comments are warranted here on the filling of the Spirit of God or with the Spirit of God. This is really important when you get to language like this in the Holy Spirit, is it not? Bezalel filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's take a moment and make sure we're clear on this. Number one, the Spirit of God is who? The Holy Spirit. This is Bezalel filled by the third person of the Trinity. Bezalel filled by a person who is the third person of the Trinity, by God himself. Now it is true, we don't normally see the Holy Spirit indwelling someone in the Old Testament. You think of filling as a New Testament action, and rightfully so, but it does happen in the Old cases like this. In fact, in the Old Testament, just to illustrate the rarity of it, we normally see the Spirit not indwelling, but do we see the Spirit comes upon someone. Very much an external sense to the action. Most notably, you remember Saul and David in the accounts of the kings. The Holy Spirit comes upon or rushes upon them. That said, what is not going on here is what you see later in Acts 2 and in the church. Let's be clear about that. Bezalel is not the first new covenant convert. Just 1,400 years early, he's not that, no. For one, the whole sense here as you read this text is a situational indwelling. Temporary sense, situational. This is an indwelling for the task at hand. As well, and we need to note this, the permanent indwelling work of the Holy Spirit that would be coming, new covenant activity, would simply not be possible pre-cross. It's not possible before Christ's work to enable it. It's not possible. And on that note, we're brought to an important second comment on Holy Spirit filling. Now, Jeremy did a fantastic job last week of this breaking us down in the classroom what the difference is with these things. So we just simply want to highlight some of those things. And remember, he said this, and this is true of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is a matter of control. This is very important. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is a matter of control, whether Old Testament or New. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, as we see with Bezalel, is not a matter of losing control. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not an emotional outburst or a spontaneous utterance or wild gyration. That's not what being filled with the Spirit is. Such a lack of control, let's be clear, such a lack of control, such a lack of order is hardly befitting a precise craftsman, is it not? It would impair work. One imagines how someone out of control or drunk could do those things like crafting. That's not the Holy Spirit. Such flamboyant displays, listen to me, are more satanic than they are special. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is what? Debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Yes, this is about whose control you're coming under. That's the text. Whose control are you coming under? That's why the picture Paul uses in Ephesians is so helpful. It's a contrast. Bad control drunkenness, debauchery, to good control, right control, Holy Spirit. To be drunk is about a loss of control, and that's not how the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit is precise. It controls to fill with precision, and we'll see in a moment why we're thankful for that. 
As such, the prophet Micah in Micah 3, verse 8, is filled with the Spirit, it says, to declare God's message accurately, there to declare Israel's sin. That's why the prophets were filled with the Spirit in these cases, for an accurate message to be presented. What about Luke 1, verse 41? Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mother, the text says is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then what she declares, a very precise blessing. The same for her husband Zechariah, later in Luke 1.67, then a prophecy follows. Now we don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling like this very specifically for that purpose today. In other words, pre-Pentecost, we don't have those moments of indwelling. Of course, after the cross, after Pentecost, the new covenant, the believer is what? sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 4.30. God's people in this age, in the church age, are permanently indwelt. The Holy Spirit resides permanently in us. No one can take the Holy Spirit away from Andrea or you or me, believer. It permanently, or He permanently indwells us. We are in this age commanded to be filled with Him. Filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? You would have a right question in a very confusing age of church when people have perverse teachings on what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean? Being filled today means we actively submit ourselves to the work of the indwelt Holy Spirit in our lives. That's it. You yield to Him in you. Our lives are the purpose of control. Ephesians 5.18, by the way, the very next verse in Ephesians, goes on to tell us what filling looks like. In fact, if you open up Ephesians, Jeremy walked us through this, you see all manner of what it means to be filled in the rest of the letter. It is, for example, Ephesians 5.19, to be filled, it's addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Many of us filled with the Holy Spirit this morning doing that. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 20, is about giving thanks always for everything. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 22, is about wives submitting to their husbands. Yes, Holy Spirit work. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 25, husbands, is what enables you to love your wife. Rightly, sacrificially, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, chapter 6, defines the acts of children, parents, workers, and on it goes. To be filled is to be enabled, not to do wild things, not to do spectacular things, and certainly not to do your thing. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, as Douglas Stewart so accurately puts it, this is very good, says this, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have from God the ability to do or say exactly what God wants done or said. That's what it means to be filled, the Holy Spirit. Church, that's it. Old Testament or new, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is about God-given ability to do what God asks His children to do. It is specific and controlled ability to carry out exactly what Yahweh intends. It is one thing to have ability, generally, to be able to craft, to be able to fashion, and so on. But it's another thing to do as you ought to do, to do as God commands you to do. Bezalel had ability. Israel saw that. Remember, it was evident. But to take that ability and submit that ability to the Holy Spirit, to have his skill engaged by the Holy Spirit, 
For Bezalel, his intelligence lit up by the Holy Spirit. And look at all the ways in the text it does this. Not just skill and ability, not just intelligence. To have his knowledge, the text says, informed by the Holy Spirit. And all his craftsmanship. Verse 3, to be spirit-filled. Well, that's something else entirely. And you, Christian, should desire that. Christian, if you are today, should hear that and say, Yes, with my God-given ability, that should be me. Christian, it's my privilege to tell you today, you already have such. An answer to prayer, if you will. If you are a true Christian here, you already have God-given ability. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Two peaks into this chapter this morning that are necessary. And I want to preface our dip into 1 Corinthians 12 to say this is a very specific application of the work of the Spirit. We're looking at the broader principle of God-infused ability. Of Spirit-given ability, it says, look at verse 7 in chapter 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is to the church. Covenant Christians. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. To each Look at that distribution there. To each means to all without distinction. Every one of you, church, given. Given by God. Now, that is given in a chapter, again, so we're clear, that specifically it's almost drilling down ability to the level of spiritual gifts. And that's very important. It's a type of ability and a very important one. And to go to, through the spiritual gifts, that's for another time and place. That's why this spring... Foundations of the faith will go through spiritual gifts. That's not for this text or today. But the principle broader than spiritual gifts, as we can just keep your thumb in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll be back there in a moment. Go back to Exodus. The principle broader than spiritual gifts is God-given ability. Beloved, you have no ability that God has not first and originally given to you. Now let's take that core truth, the summit here, it's the third point, and add a couple more pieces to it, because the text does in Exodus 31. Ability's next characteristic, it's evident, personal, God-given. Ability is also communal. Chapter 31, look at first part of verse 6. It says this, And behold, I have appointed with him Olihab, the son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability. Stop there. It turns out that Bezalel is not alone. Do you see that? God appoints one with him. It says Olihab. Olihab, we must point out, also one, do you see it? With a name, with a father, with a specific tribe. Dan, in this case. So this is not a solo effort for Bezalel. This is not all Bezalel's deal. You know, he's the guy, he's doing it. Nor... Is this just the wondrous works of Bezalel and Aholiab, the dynamic duo? No, look at the end of verse 6. I have given to all able men ability. Ability, or sorry, uh, start of verse 6. Beloved, ability may be personal, as we've seen, but it is not exclusive. Ability may be personal, but it's not exclusive. Ability is given in community under Yahweh to all kinds, not just one kind. Loved ones, just because we are all not Bezalels doesn't mean we do not have ability. 
No, in fact, we're all given ability. Here again, the principle of God's word. We just flip back to 1 Corinthians 12, such a helpful chapter in the New Testament. Now look with me as we start in verse 14. We're talking about what the Spirit, what He gives to God's people. Look at this truth in verse 14. Just consider the community here. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And we stop there for a moment to realize we have all manner of those protests today, do we not? Well, I can't sing like them. I can't do this like her. I'm not like that. And what that leads to, this text says, is slowly but surely almost a severing. Does that not happen? We say, because I'm not like you, I won't be with you. That's dangerous stuff. If the whole body, verse 17, were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would, the sense, where would be the sense of smell? I love these obvious illustrations from the Apostle Paul, right? You can almost visualize it, the, how ludicrous it would be. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body. And note who it is that arranged the members? God. Each one of them as who choose, chooses? He does. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet what? One body. Many parts, yet one body. Many abilities, yet one body. Many abilities, yet one community. And that's because ability is communal. If you're in God's community, you are enabled. And that enablement often, and again, we could say so much more about this, activated by the Holy Spirit who is in the true believer, in the body of Christ, building up, encouraging brothers and sisters beside you. So one more piece here as you turn back to Exodus, one last time. One last characteristic. Ability is evident, it is personal, it's God-given, it's communal, and finally, ability is purposed. Ability is purposed. We return to chapter 6. So look at the rest of this verse. It says this, I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. You see that? What's the purpose of the ability given? For the work of God. I have given all able men ability. Why? What's purpose there? To do God's work. Very clear. End of verse 6. Very, very clear. Because ability has purpose. Brothers and sisters, our abilities are purposed by God. And listen, as we continue to do necessary course corrections, the purpose of your ability, the purpose of really good ability is not God just showing off. We dare not be so flippant with our words about God, as if he's just whimsically showing off. No, God gives ability for purpose. And the purpose of what? Look again at verse 6. To do as he commands. He gives ability to fulfill his instruction. He gives ability so that you would obey. He gives ability so that we can follow him. And what does God command here? Look at verse 7. Really hardly comment, any comment is needed here. It is this. These are the commands. Remember the tent of the meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense, You're thinking, yes, we've covered all of that. We just covered it. 
Verse 9, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. You think of chapter 28 to 29. And the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. You know all of that, beloved. We've covered it because God has instructed that. He says, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. They shall do. The ability given to Bezalel, to Olihav, to all that are able is for the express purpose of building all that God has just instructed that we've just covered in Exodus. And church, do not miss this principle on ability from the Lord. Again, let's state it so simply. We don't want to confuse things here. God always gives ability for a purpose every time. Nothing is superfluous with God. Abel's ability with the flock, you remember in Genesis 4, his ability with the flock for the express purpose of offering rightly to God. Joshua's leadership ability for the express purpose of leading God's people in conquest. Apollo's speaking ability for the express purpose of proclaiming the scriptures. And on we could go through the entire word. Right down to you, church, your ability. Yes, your ability has similar purpose too. It is for God, for God. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, remember, tells us that your ability as a Christian is given to you for the common good. That's your purpose. That's the ability purpose. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 tells us that our God-given ability even more pointed, is given to us to build each other up. Build each other up. And most of all, we use not only our abilities, but our every word, our every deed, our every act, in fact, whatever we do, to give glory to our God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. That is not only spiritual gifts, a type of ability, but that's all manner of ability and doing we give glory to God with. Everything we do, With our hands and feet, as we sung this morning, we say to God, take it and may it be a consecration to you. God's glory, the end of all things, that's the purpose of our ability. That is the purpose, again, of your ability. As we give these verses a final consideration, we need to do a couple things before we close. We need to, one, ask a question, and and two, make an important comment. Number one, it may be true for some, I don't know. It may be true for some here, this text begs, it provokes a question for you this morning. And it's this. What of your ability? What of your ability? It is evident to others. It is unique to you. But to whom do you attribute it to? Do you speak of talented ancestry, very proud of DNA skill? Do you look at your ability and think, I did it? More, do you use your ability, evident to others, unique to you, given by God? Do you use your ability for your furtherment, your pleasure? Or do you use your ability to glorify God. I don't know if that's you, but this text provokes that question. But I would be disingenuous, Westmount Bible Chapel, if I left it there. Always love God's providence on this day, this text. Westmount, could there be a more providential day for living examples of this? 
You know them. You're going through them in your head right now. You have a cook downstairs right now with the God-given ability to plan, coordinate, and cook. And she is serving you with her ability right now. We have handymen here. Think of the men that were here yesterday, Len and Mike and, and so on, with ability to fix, repair, and plan. And you're going to hear about that more later, which is funny. Those of us that were in the building yesterday, I was joking with one. I'm like, I don't even know how Glenn and Mike are doing that, what they did downstairs. You can ask them about that. Because they have ability to do that. And they put that ability to God's house. We have saints with music ability. Were you blessed by the choir this morning? That's harmony. That's from God. We have saints with ability. And by the way, what a blessing for some of us as parents of some of them to hear the joy, even in our own homes, to hear them practicing and singing. They can't help themselves. They just want to sing. We have brothers and sisters here with hospitality ability, technical ability. A brother coming to me just before I come on, making sure I have a headset, making sure it's all right. I have no clue. This just amplifies but people have ability to do that. We have young with ability to memorize. I can't believe what I hear out of the chapel kids in the blueprints class. Their minds are like sponges and more. Memorizing, listen, not verses, chapters and books. I'm with you thinking, i got to work hard for that. They have ability. We have the old with ability and tact and dignity. So blessed. I've said this in my seven years here at Westmount. And those of you that have decades behind you, man, I have learned so much on tact and dignity with your ability, your ability to tackle life. Westmount, we are a church with much ability given to us for what? So that we can lead good lives, right? No. No. A good life, I don't even know if I'd say it that way, a peaceful life is a derivative, it's a residual benefit of the one aim. And what is that? In all you do with your ability, you do what? Glorify God. Glorify God. We're a church with abilities that have been given to us, and I am certainly biased. But the beacon of God's glory here is an encouragement to my soul every week. Westmount faithful, beloved members, you do. You have been serving with your God-given ability. Today testifies to that. Providentially, today testifies to you taking your God-given ability that's evident, that's unique, that's in this community, that has a purpose, and you're giving God glory with it. Beloved, I pray that will always be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your providence. Only of a text on this day, but the providence that you give through your saints, Lord, of ability. Ability to give you glory. Lord, so many of us think of your instructions in God's word, and we think of our endless I can'ts. And we're reminded on days like today that we can. And not just in moments of active serving and good, but in our resistance of sin. Lord, we can do all that you ask us, all of it because you enable us. God, make that clear in our minds, press it in our hearts. Let us live it, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.